0: Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Touching the Past with your host, Tricia Markle. Hello,
1: my name's Tricia Markle, and this is Touching the Past a program where we explore the heritage of Muskoka, its past, and not too distant past. Today, my guest is Gary Dennis. Gary is listed on Google as a Canadian historian, newspaper columnist, retired public school teacher, speaker, and ordained minister, but I just know him as a very interesting person. We both share the love of local heritage, and over the years, our paths have crossed in this endeavor. To Gay, Gary returns to the program to talk about his new book. This, I believe, is number 50. And this book, like his other books, has been deeply researched. Welcome, Gary. And I'll leave it up to you to introduce us to this new book that covers covers several areas of Muskoka.
0: Well, thank you very much, Trish. I'm very pleased to be back again today on Hunter's Bay Radio. The trip up here today was classic Muskoka colour fall. I think you peaked. Absolutely yes I agree. I was tempted to stop many times. I had the camera in the car but I knew Trish was waiting for me and I thought I better not be late. Yes this is book number 50. I'm doing a little series called Muskoka Memories. I've numbered them for some silly reason, 101, 102, 103, 104, 105. And this is number 105, or 105, and it is the 50th Muskoka publication that I have endeavored to make. It also coincides with my 50th Mm -hmm. wedding anniversary,
1: Well, congratulations on that.
0: thank you. My wife has put up with me for 50 years, and I have dedicated this book to my family.
1: And they probably deserve every little bit of dedication.
0: They do. And uh, I have a daughter in Barrie, a son in uh, Etobicoke, and a daughter in Barrie has two children, and the son in Etobicoke has one boy. So I dedicated it to them, and of course, the kingpin of our family, my wife. As I've been pondering the history of Muskoka, Trish, you know I like to scatter my thoughts. Uh, These books, Muskoka Memories, uh, which there are five, and 106 is ready to be printed, and they just told me this morning it's, it's ready to be published. Uh, I must admit, I publish one every fall for the Christmas market, and they are sold at the Owl Pen Bookshop in Bracebridge. They carry them for me. Muskoka memories, I, I realized when I started to research that there was a little corner of Watt Township down near Port Carling, and it is called Brackenrig, and I searched through all the materials and found very, very little about Brackenrig. So, that being the challenge, I decided Brackenrig is going to take precedence. So, I started to inquire and I found that that area of Muskoka, it's not a large area, but it's beside Lake Rosso. And there are still seven descendant families living in that area. And three of them were more than willing to be interviewed, give me pictures, and uh, provide all kinds of information on that little corner of Muskoka.
1: Well, you know that I've traveled the Breckenridge Road because I go to Port Carling on a regular basis. Yes. But it never dawned on me that, that had been a little village hamlet, yes. Or, and it—I'm glad you've done this now yes. because now it's—it becomes a place, not just a it's, road.
0: It is a place, and uh, uh, its original settler came uh, way back in the 1860s, and his name was Sandy Fraser. Uh, and anyone who knows very much about genealogy probably can take a wild guess that Sandy Fraser. Well, from Scotland.
1: Like him already.
0: <laughs> I suspect I hear Scottish <laughs> roots somewhere in that Markle oh, family. Oh, yeah. And uh, he came there and he uh, came and he married into uh, a family and he became uh, part of the kingpin of the community. And uh, he married into another family that's known as the Folk's family. And there are still Folk's living in the Bracebridge area, and they were very helpful in uh, providing information for me. Uh, I looked into this thing about bracken rig, and I thought, you know, I wonder what it means. Well, bracken isn't too hard, because bracken is a very common fern plant in Mm -hmm. Muskoka, and probably in most areas around the world. But what about this rig part or ridge part? Well, that's exactly what it is. It was like a ridge over in Scotland. And when they plowed the fields, they called those what we would probably call furrows. They called them rigs or ridges. And so somehow or another, the two got married together. And so it's bracken rig or bracken ridge, as some people say. I think either one is correct. So anyway, I delved into that and uh, he uh, married a a lady by the name of Elizabeth and they lived in that area for many 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 decades then I found out from a lady who lived in Bracebridge that I had uh, been a teacher and I had had as one of the uh, custodians in my classroom a young man by the name of Doug Foulkes And lo and behold, if he hadn't been born and raised in Brackenrig. So I was able to get a a lot of information from her. Brackenrig was, uh, back in in the day, like most parts of Muskoka, was a fairly isolated community. And uh, I spent a lot of time looking into... Uh, Not only the families, another family was the Penny family. And if you've been around Muskoka for a long time, you will have heard of the Penny Sawmill. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is no longer in existence, but it certainly was for a very long time. And the Penny family, and there are descendants of the Penny family still living in Brackenrig. And uh, her name is Lynn Penny. Ellis, and uh, she married a doctor's son, Dr. Ellis's son from Bracebridge, uh, whom I went to high school with. And David has passed away, but they hold an annual golf tournament in his memory out at Port Carling. So there was the uh, Penny family, and uh, they, they were very much a part of that community in a very big way. So I wanted to delve a little bit into the social aspect of, of Brackenbrink because it was isolated and I found that it was the schoolhouse that was the center of attention.
1: Well, actually, there was all these small communities that seemed to be the focal point. And s- somehow when the school disappeared, the community kind of watered down and just sort of, I don't know. It just never was never the same.
0: As my grandson would say, Trish, you just nailed it. <laughs> yes, and so I, I, I just thought maybe your listeners might be kind of interested in. Uh, I, I won't read it all, but uh, one of the occasions where the schoolhouse was used was for a St. Patrick's Day party. And you see, they were making their own entertainment. Basically, that's what they were doing. So the ladies of this small community of do rig, rig do so many kindly things and at some time have some fun in doing it. In this serene and pastoral district, the outer world seems far away. And it is hard to realize that grim war is nearly on our doorstep. Now this little story took place about 1938 and the rumblings in Europe were were getting stronger and stronger. The women of Brackenrig are serious and hardworking and show their true patriotism in the many branches of war work undertaken and say nothing about it. Yet Speech is not the only form of self-expression. Actions speak louder than words. The writer of these notes does not think the ladies will take umbrage at this laudation. For after all, truth is not evasive and telling of what they have done may be an incentive to others to go and do likewise. So they held walks social. And it was held... Uh, and they were uh, just something that they decided they would do to raise money for the war effort. By this time, the war had started, and I believe it was September 1945 when World War II started, and so they got early in on this, and, and many people from this small community, many men from that small community were part of going overseas. So they held this party in the schoolhouse and they decorated it to the nines and almost everybody in the community would end up at the schoolhouse for one of these parties. And so, uh, that was part of the social fabric of a rural community, whether it be Brackenridge or, or any other one at that particular point in history, as you have pointed out, uh, when the schoolhouses then started to close, that aspect of getting together in that way kind of uh, unfortunately went by the board.
1: Well, I can remember reading something written by Joe um, Cookson. Yes. And he mentions a a get-together, and he says that the men usually stood in a corner and talked farming and logs while the women gossiped in the kitchen. And I thought that was just so typical.
0: Well, I was born in 1944, and I can remember my mother belonged to a Women's Institute branch. And they held socials. Uh, now, I wouldn't remember 1944, of course, but I remember the early 50s. And I remember they held a strawberry social uh, out on a farm. This has nothing to do with Brackenridge, but uh, you, again have nailed it. <laughs> the men stood around. Mind you, they ate the strawberries. Oh, cream, yeah. Cream and sugar. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the ladies were the ones who played crokinole and, and whatever else. But anyway, yeah, for sure. And then they held a Halloween party at Brackenrig in 1942. And this is a little verse that the author wrote. The world will keep on turning as the world is bound to do. And Halloween will keep on coming
1: Well, on that note, we're going to take a little pause and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based
0: talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7.
1: I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy
0: Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Touching the Past with your host, Tricia Markle.
1: We're back to Touching the Past, where my guest, Gary Dennis, has been talking about his new book, And in particular, a place called Brackenrig, which is just sort of between here and Port Carling. If you come from Huntsville down, you generally take Brackenrig Road to Port Carling. But he's discovered that this was quite a hamlet and it was a lot of social activities for a small place. Gary, take it away.
0: Well, uh, I'm going to surprise you now going to change.
1: Oh, This is typical Gary. We never know what's going to come you next.
0: We never know. Uh, I would like to switch it up and I would like to talk about a subject that's a little closer to the Huntsville area and I believe I gave the essence of this talk at I'm not sure if it was the historical society but anyway and that is the Locks the Canal and Brunel. And uh, of course, that's a little closer to home for, for you folks. Although not all government public works projects are, are of lasting value, the earliest such understanding in the newly opened northern districts was the building of the Muskoka Colonization Road. And of course, that was very important. It started at Washago in 1858. And after 12 years, it finally reached Huntsville. And despite its inadequate ease in trying to choose and construct a traversable roadway through the dense forest, across mud-sucking swamps, around impenetrable rocks, skirting numerous lakes and ponds, as well as overcoming other natural impediments, such as millions of insects, It did provide pioneer settlers with a rudimentary, twisting, hilly, bone-jarring land route to the areas of their chosen free grant lots in central Muskoka. And of course, it had lasting value. And our current Highway 11, Kings Highway 11 through Muskoka, more or less follows that old ancient route. But it wasn't all land transportation in Muskoka because of all the lakes that we've got and the rivers and the first place that they put locks was in Port Carling and they built a canal in between Lake Joseph and Lake Rossel at Port Sandfield, but that didn't help over here around the Huntsville area. So we turn our thoughts to Brunel Township. It's a very historically interesting township. It perpetuates the surname of this gentleman that I find his name, especially his first name, is fascinating. Isambard. I-S-A-M-B-A-R-D. Where they got that from, I'll never know. Then they gave him second name, Kingdom, and finally his family name, Brunel. He was born in 1806, and he passed away as a fairly young man in 1859. He was an English mechanical and civil engineer who was still considered, even today, as one of the most ingenious and prolific figures in engineering history whose designs and ingenious construction were were groundbreaking. As a matter of fact, I.K. Brunel was the first to build a tunnel under a navigable river. Now, just so you know, Isambard Kingdom Brunel never saw Brunel Township. This was all well before that. He his lifetime was well before Brunel became a, a figure on, on the maps. But because of the importance of his skills, and ingenuity, that name was chosen. Now I don't know who makes these. I didn't know who made these choices, but I thought it was kind of interesting, that it was that it uh, applied to our little place here in Muskoka. He built dockyards. He built bridges. And he set a standard for a well-built railway bridge in Montreal that is still in use. It's a railway bridge and a highway bridge. And he also built a railway at the request of none other than Florence Nightingale. He designed and built a prefabricated hospital of wood and canvas, and he shipped that off to the war in Crimea. So people who live in Brunel or a cottage in Brunel or whatever, they could hold their head high because they certainly live in an area named for a very, very interesting gentleman.
1: Well, when my cousin was over from Wales on a visit, she was so totally impressed the fact that she was coming to Brunel that when we paid a return visit to her... We had to go down to Bristol and go to all through Brunel's museums, and she oh. showed us all the stuff that he had oh. made. And, I mean, it, it sort of was a major realization that, well, Brunel's a pretty famous place to live.
0: Awesome. Wow. I didn't know all that. That's great. Actually, his father was French, and uh, <clears throat> his name was Marc Isambard Brunel. And and he had an English mother whose name was Sophia Kingdom. So he came by this name honestly. So out of all of that, from that point of the background in Brunel, we have in this book uh, a summary of the locks at Brunel, what we call the Brunel Locks. And then I've gone on to do the canal between Ferry and Peninsula Lakes. And uh, that I've gone through and uh, uh, finished off with a little story that some of you may have read in the past, but uh, it's called The Legend of the Twin Sister Islands in Fairy Lake. And this book is well illustrated like all my other books are. I firmly believe a picture is worth a thousand words and... uh, I'm just in closing. I see I don't have much time, but book number 51 was published for August the 26th when the cemetery I looked after was 150 years old. And we had a big celebration, and it is called Langford Cemetery. And if you ever have a chance to come and see Langford Cemetery... It's on Muskoka Road 117, about a mile off Highway 11 on Forster Trail. And you will be impressed by how well-kept it is, and and you will see one of the most beautiful veteran memorials in all of Muskoka.
1: Well, thank you so much, Gary. I know that with family and all your research and everything that you're a very busy person And I want to thank you for giving of your time. And if uh, anybody would like to listen to this program again or future Touching the Past, it can be found on podcast. This has been Touching the Past on Hunters Bay Radio 88.7.